Uh, how do you how do you start the podcast? I forgot. Uh, dun dun. Wait. Uh, Welcome back to the show, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, that was a bit ominous, but that's fine. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> Did you hear that? No. Oh. That's one of our guests today. Yes, a dog. We've got a dog in the house. Yeah. Better than our usual guests, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've been liking of late anyway. They've been none. There've been none. We had a full list of guests we were supposed to have on, and then none at all now. Yeah, Elon yeah. Musk, Kim Kardashian. We had to cancel them all due to COVID. Yeah, I remember how upset uh, Kanye was when we told him. Yeah. yeah, I think he ran for president right afterwards, actually. <laughs> but hopefully, now that everything's uh, kind of getting back to some kind of normality, we can re-invite them back on. Yeah, that'll be good. Anyway, hi James, how are you? Hi Frank, I'm well. Excellent. How's what did your code been this week? <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's been great, thank you. I um, I've been doing a little bit of coding, but just for work, so nothing exciting. The uh, only exciting thing I did this week, I um, have you heard of uh, Nebula? No, I haven't. You know what that is Nebula is like a, an overlay network um, from Slack. So Slack uses it to connect all of their data centers. Um, it. Instead, so the traditional way of like accessing your local host and stuff is what I used to do, which is have a VPN with like port forwarding. So you connect to the VPN and then you can access your home network or the cloud or wherever. The Nebula uh, overlay network uh, works by using a system that I'm not going to attempt to describe because it's beyond me. <laughs> but essentially, you have one machine running that's very low power, very low CPU usage, anything like that, uh, that works as a lighthouse, they call it. And then all of the other um, computers that you want to talk to each other, all they do is connect to the lighthouse once, and that tells them where everyone else is, and then they can communicate even within uh, like your local network out. So they don't have a publicly exposed IP, but by nature of having this um, lighthouse and internal network and other cloud networks, you can access them anywhere as long as you are uh, within the, like, air quotes VPN that Nebula provides network, I guess. Okay. Does that replace anything? What were you using before that? I had a WireGuard uh, with just vanilla port forwarding. So I did port forwarding through the router and then also from the router into, like... Uh, a little proxy, so yeah. which was so one of the things with that is that um, because you're not talking directly to the computer, if you have the VPN on when you're at home, you're actually going out because it has to connect somewhere, right? So you're going out and then back in, either to the router or to the cloud instance, depending on where you're actually connecting to your VPN. And then you have like latency, even if you're close by. With this setup, you actually communicate directly to the other instance so if i'm in my house my route my like server is directly behind me uh i only get like a one millisecond response time right because i'm next to it so instead of like going to the vpn and back out uh yeah it works that way it's uh, slack hq slash nebula the github repository it's quite cool is this relatively new or it's uh i think like a couple years old like maybe four years old or something but it the first time i heard about it was actually um uh uh, like two weeks ago, uh, I mentioned my like WireGuard setup, and someone was like, "Oh, I use Nebula for that." And I'd heard of other providers like um, 
what zero tier i think zero tier is one that was open source and then there's another one that's a paid service i can't remember but oh tail scale tail scale is the other one that does something similar um tail scale is easier but it's a proprietary piece of software and we all know how i feel about that uh, so no good no support the open source tools especially with a vpn i'd much rather own it myself um so yeah and will you still use WireGuard for anything or is this a full replacement? WireGuard I'm still using for, uh, well, WireGuard is still good for the purpose that I use it for, which is con- like connecting to uh, like other remote hosts. I would definitely say it's easier to set up Nebula. Nebula is 10 times easier. I don't know if I'm going to use it at a company that I work at. Um, I haven't really evaluated it security that well. Um, so... Uh, yes, Slack uses it everywhere, but um, I definitely wouldn't want to misconfigure something with a toy that I just found out about. <laughs> so Could be awkward, right? Yeah. yeah. But uh, given this, you can also even, like, if you have a host, you can grant access for other hosts, other, other hosts on the network to be able to access stuff from a host's local network. So I could have the Postgres database in AWS, I could actually access um, directly using a Nebula uh, uh, setup. So it's quite interesting. Because at the moment, to do to access our network on AWS, you use WireGuard, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I enable WireGuard, and WireGuard has port forwarding enabled. So I essentially become one with the uh, production AWS network, which is something that I've done a few times at different companies, um, if I were to do this, I would, I, I'd still have to set up port forwarding on some device if I wanted to access like the RDS database or, or the GCP SQL database. Um, but it would be easier to set up the initial connections and also to add other people to it, I think. So that was a nice fun. What'd you do that? Like on a Sunday afternoon? Or? Yeah, I did that on Saturday. So uh, yeah. that was enjoyable. Uh, I because it was so easy, I got to automate the whole thing, which was great. Uh, you don't always get to do that if it's like a really complicated setup, but uh, everything got its own little Ansible playbook. And now, whenever I add a host, I just add it at one line, and bam, it's now connected ah. to the, the the network. It's pretty cool. Now you'll be just whacking Nebula everywhere because you've got it set up as an Ansible playbook. Well, one of the problems that I've had with like my home lab is I want to have a database, essentially. Like I want to have a Postgres database that I use for my personal stuff. Like I want to put my transactions and like any other random application. I want to create a user and put into that. And then all of my personal apps can reference that database. This allows me to solve that problem, I think, quite easily. Hold on. Tell me more about this. You want to set up a database, a yeah. personal database, to mm-hmm. do what? Uh, well, like I'm, you know, when I go shopping with my girlfriend, uh, I notice some patterns that I'd like to solve in an application that I write. So, um, <laughs> you know, would I create an entire like cloud instance and everything? No, I'd rather just use my existing servers. So, but I, I do want the data to be persistent and I don't want to worry about performing multiple backups and everything. So I'd just put it on RDS or something uh, like a cheap tier of RDS. So, yeah. Mm. Mm. So you could put all your, all your spending habits into your database, then run analytics on them and see where your money's going. Exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's sort of what I want to do. Yeah. 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 Well, if you're spending time coding, like adding Nebula, that doesn't really cost money. That's just fun. It's all the other expenses that you incur in life, right? Uh, well, I actually, so Nebula costs almost nothing. Yeah. 
So the Nebula instance that I'm paying for is $4 a month. That's it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Relative to any other VPN, which is way more expensive. But I could also host a whole bunch of other stuff on this because it's so low in like CPU. It's a Go tool. It's written in Go. Mm. Yeah. You can read the source code. Yeah, I'm just looking through it now, actually. I see all the, all the Go files. That- all the variables. They've got lots of them. Mm. Yeah. Tailscale is a really good alternative. You could try it, actually, Frank, if you want it. Tailscale? Yeah. Tailscale is like, um, so there's a really good podcast I like called uh, Security Cryptography Whatever. One of the people that that is on that podcast uh, works here. And so I've heard it described many times. And uh, it, their free tier, I think you can get up to like 30 devices on, something like that. Yeah. And uh, it's very easy to set up. And you can even do like, um, you can have multiple people sign up, like log into your network using like their Google account. So yeah, it's pretty cool. I'll have to have a look at it. Yeah. The website looks nice anyway, so it must be, it looks fairly. Very generous free tier. Yeah. Yeah. Looks great. what else have you been doing man that's it let me tell you uh, i have covid <laughs> other than that huh you sound fine but yeah uh well i don't i haven't tested positive but my girlfriend has covid and we live together so uh, there's a 99 percent chance that i'm gonna get covid so i have heard of the odd case where what partners living together one catches it one doesn't yeah. Fingers crossed. Maybe you Well, what do they do? Do they like totally isolate? Like I'm just going to live my life as normal. So. Yeah, I think so. Okay. All well, right. You're going to get it. You're going to get it either way, so. Honestly, I'd like if I haven't had it already without knowing, I'd rather just get it. Yeah. Be honest. Get it over so, done with. Yeah. Do not take my advice as medical advice. This is <laughs> what's the disclaimer? Put, yeah, we're gonna have to put the disclaimer on Spotify now about the that's unfortunate COVID nineteen misinformation. Yes, but um, so besides the uh, besides changing around your VPN, what else? Anything else exciting? That's really unfortunate that you would ask me that. I have nothing. I have COVID. <laughs> <laughs> what else can I say? Uh, well, you've heard my plans for local network and everything, yeah. but, uh, you know, have you been feeling about, um, code review? <laughs> code review you... is one thing I'm passionate about. Is it really? I love a good code review. I see. And I've, I've always had that mentality from the very early days of my coding journey. That's true. You have always been a sucker for pain. <laughs> A masochist of code. Yeah. yeah. Always begging for code review. Yes. Yes. Well, I've been at a few places where people were, were reluctant to give me code reviews and I had to actually go speak to someone, and be, like people in my team, and be like, please, please review my code. Please yeah. tell me where I'm going wrong. Because this was the early days and um, I, was, I was writing code and my teammate would be like, give it, a, give it an approval straight off or give me like a few tiny little pointers and I just knew in in my like heart of hearts being a junior developer that there was definitely improvements I could make right like so early in in my career yeah there's definitely improvements that can be made but um unless the team's guiding you and and giving you that feedback Mm. it's very hard to progress yeah uh, I mean, I see that. So let's, if we look at that problem, essentially we're saying that you don't know where to improve, right? Like, and you think that the way to get that 
uh, feedback from people is through code review. I don't know if you know this, Frank, but I'm actually not a huge fan of code review. <laughs> I just, I barely see a point. There's definitely a, a lot of value in terms of like the, the overview, like just make sure that I've done things correctly in general. But um, code review becomes a lot of things, I think, because of Agile. We, we now that we've adapted agile we're like oh we don't do planning we don't like we don't do design we don't do any uml or anything right so we don't actually plan the software architecture or the design um and so then code review becomes the alternate like the the place where that is materialized which is like the worst possible place for design to be discussed is in code review which is yeah, what it seems like most companies use it for um yeah so i feel like for the circumstance that you're talking about what would have actually been more beneficial is if you got some pairing time um <laughs> even oh, like a kickoff be, you know what you're um i think you're you've hit the nail on the head because that's what i needed so what what was happening at the time was uh i would get a ticket and the the ticket would have no details on how things were expected to be implemented so I would follow coding styles that I found in the repository that I was working in and maybe take some inspiration from other repositories in the same company's code base uh, and just, um, you know, do my best implementation that I thought and then send it out to the team and hopefully it's right. But at that point, people are probably reluctant to say, well, actually, no, that's wrong. You need to... You know that work you did for two days? Can you just change all of it? Thank you. (laughs) But also, it's like you're making it more awkward for the other people as well because, you know, like, then they have to be like, this is shit. Like, you have to come up... The the alternative is that you give them the opportunity to say, this is good, um, and they don't have to say this is shit, right? So if you actually want to get good input from someone, you have to talk to them up front. You have to suffer early instead of suffering later. It's like the XP principle of always suffering sooner. Um, yeah, so when you push it back, it just sucks, I think, in general. Yeah. There's, I think there's still some value in, in, a, in a code review, but just to have an extra set of eyes run over what you've done maybe, but I do understand your point about all these kind of decisions and choices should be made up front with the team rather than after the fact when it's already written. Yeah. Well, it's not even just that that I'm talking about. So, yes, design should be more of a part of it or kickoffs, that sort of thing, if you're doing the extreme agile sort of stuff. Um, but uh, the like alternative to doing reviews at all is just to pair more as well. Like if you're pairing, you don't really need the review because you've already had, uh, you had two people uh, already inside of it. You don't need review at all, really. Is there any uh, best practices for pairing? Uh, Yeah, heaps. There's a couple books. References and resources. I have an entire page on it in my wiki, but uh, I'd have to, I don't know where that is. Yeah, I was going to, I actually started a blog post about best practices in pairing because it's all over the place. There's a whole bunch of different people who talk about different styles and everything. Um, There's like a, I I can't remember the terms exactly. There's like driver navigator. There's like a domineering style where it's like uh, junior to senior or sorry, senior to junior. Um, Yeah. And, And it also, it like, it depends on, yeah, it really depends on the dynamic of the two people pairing. So if it's a very junior person, it's going to be hard for the junior person to be able to contribute to the design. So having them being the navigator at all might be 
difficult initially. So you think maybe be more beneficial for people to pair if they're at the more similar level? Uh, yeah, for sure. Pairing at this at a similar level is fantastic. It's my favorite without a doubt. Um, yeah, pairing below can be, and I, I don't just mean below is in, in terms of like, oh, do you know this database or whatever? You're good at programming, but like even like domain knowledge, that sort of thing. It can be a bit, it can be a bit frustrating um, and tiring for the person who has to talk all the time. Yeah. But uh, either way, like, you know, you don't have to pair for the entire ticket, but even pairing for the like skeleton of what's going to happen, like is very beneficial. Flesh out like the, the, the core of what it is that you want to do. And then you don't need to do as much code review. You don't need to do like an entire like design and you don't need to tell them that it's shit. You pretty much, you go through and you say like, Oh, you may be not be handling this edge case or I considered this edge case. What do you think? And then you're no longer forcing someone to rewrite an entire um, pull request. You're like just saying, Oh, on top of the stuff that you've done, what if you had a test for this? So. Mm. Have you had any good experiences pair programming? Yeah. Really good experiences. Of mm. course. Um, I had some good experiences with, um, yeah, one of the teams that I was in, we pretty much never turned off our cameras. So every day was, um, it was a noisy, I guess, sort of way to work, but, um, the team of four people all just left their cameras on 24 seven. And anytime anyone started a ticket or started work on anything, just turn on your camera, that's it. And then like share your screen and the, of the four people, one of us would be able to like comment, even if the other people were in meetings, you'd just pop out for a second. Yeah. And did that, that work? Was did everyone enjoy that? Everyone loved it. Yeah, I think so. Really? Yeah, it was it was really fantastic because uh, there's no longer like a I have to wait for someone to. Obviously, if you're working in a more corporate setting and no one actually wants to work there and you don't like your coworkers, that would suck. But because everyone liked everyone beforehand, we already knew each other from the office. That was a a really good experience. Does the Agile Manifesto talk about code review? No, I don't think so. I don't think it talks about code review at all. Mm. So where did this concept of code review come from? I don't know where the concept comes from, but there's definitely like, uh, there's been a lot of studies um, in large companies that show that companies that did, or like departments that did code review had better outcomes. But uh, I'm very, all these studies are coming from like massive companies really like they're not they're not like small startups with you know uh maybe a maximum of 20 engineers right so yeah obviously if you're working in a company with a thousand people you're gonna have very different problems um but uh, if you have like a few people and you know everyone by name there's no reason why you can't just ask them to work on something with you instead yeah so if we're flipping the if we're flipping the review, like you say, suffer earlier, what kind of tools would you expect to drive the design earlier in the process if we want to reduce our code review? Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe a code review would just be like, do the names make sense? And maybe maybe they want to review the tests and just make sure that there's some thorough tests and understand what the feature is actually for. But then uh, if we want to flip it like i said and um and have all this have the suffering up front what kind of tools and processes would we would we do before we actually submit for this yeah uh so ticket kickoffs i think um i don't know if you remember me proposing this (laughs) but uh, at our own company we we had this uh this concept 
uh, which we didn't, we didn't end up doing. Um, but I think that's like by far the most beneficial is like when you start a ticket, talk to the person who's going to be reviewing it beforehand. That's it. Uh, that's, that's what's, a massive one. What's the, with the, the kickoff ticket, how, um, how, how does that play out? Like, what does it look like? Uh, so you're about to pull a ticket, you spin around in your chair and you say, uh, Charles, can you uh, talk for a second? I, I'm going to start this ticket seven three four eight, <laughs> <laughs> and then Charles says okay, and then you come over and you're like okay, so uh, this is the problem. You both understand the problem, and then you sort of work through how do you think we could solve that, and then you typically end up in a better state. The I think people think that like you know the backlog refinement or something like that or one of those other like agile meetings is going to solve for that issue but really you've got like an hour with a group of sometimes like 10 people to a team now you know, there's no way you're getting to like an effective design for every ticket that's hitting the backlog in that in that manner if you if you were to reduce some of those um, like traditional scrum meetings and instead do more of a uh when i start some work that we've already decided needs to happen we have a discussion about how that work's going to happen so it does mean that you have to be like mature and flexible and you have to trust people because like they may make the judgment call when they start the design that it might not be worth it. So, mm. yeah, which is good, and, really. And the tickets, how much detail would you expect to be in these tickets if, if, the, if the two teammates need to have a discussion about how to solve it? What would you expect to be in the ticket? And who would prepare the ticket as well? How would it even, how would it get to the point where the developers are ready to say, okay, let's work on this? Well, we've said a few times that there's like uh, a lot of different, uh, so like, uh, in our circumstance, we had like, you know, no product people and just tech people. So, uh, at the point that you pull the ticket is really fine. Um, it's reasonable enough to say like, oh, we need a, a general design, uh, some point of time before, um, it it depends it it depends massively not every like app needs incredible polish like business to business apps don't need as much forethought in like design that sort of thing like you don't really necessarily need someone to tell you the entire design cuz a b2b app is like a uh, uh, like a saw like you'll still use the saw if it's ugly and uh, you know uh, but and it solves the problem cutting a plank in half whereas like a lot of consumer apps like if you were making tinder if it's ugly you, you know, it's less likely people will trust your product. So, yeah, B two B the the functionality, the expectation is that the functionality will be excellent, and maybe the, the UI may not be as polished as something you might get on a on an app that's more for entertainment. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, like, you know, the the obvious thing to say is it depends. <laughs> depends. Yeah, it depends on what ends up working. Like uh, the processes that you use at your company aren't like you shouldn't just take a cookie cutter to it. I do. I think people take too many cookie cutters to too many processes. And I think uh, looking at whether or not you need all these like pre like agile meetings, um, you know, you'll cut down on hours and hours and hours of meetings and instead have productive like design meetings that reduce your tech debt and everything because you're actually getting design into the system. So mm. I suppose the challenge is finding the balance between like the right amount of structure, right? We don't want no structure because obviously the team, the team can't plan for what they need to do. 
and maybe it's unclear on what everyone's inputs and outputs and expectations are. So you need some level of organization in that respect. Mm, maybe. Yeah, I, I take your point. Like you don't want to follow a recipe down to the T. Maybe you need to make adjustments, you know, when you're I, cooking, if you've, if you've got extra meat, you need extra salt or extra vegetables, or maybe you put a bit more pepper one time, you know? I mean, I don't know anything about cooking because I hate food, but all right. No, but um, the, you know, I mean, when you think of like Agile, Agile has nothing to do with Scrum. Scrum is like a framework that um, some idiot came up with that's now ruined all our lives with like these stupid meetings, additional meetings for no reason. The the whole point of the Agile thing in my mind is like, uh, do like make your process the thing that enables people to do their best work, really. Like, I think that's one of their like tenants is like uh, find good people and trust them or something like that. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it really depends on the maturity of your like uh, engineering team. If you're hiring a whole bunch of people who can't manage that, then, and you don't have anyone there senior enough to manage that sort of process, then I think you're going to struggle no matter what framework you put them in. But yeah. maybe a, a, a strict framework would work if you have a whole bunch of people that you don't trust at all. So process is like a lot of processes there not to like help people i think it's more there to like uh, reduce the risk to the business and make sure that lazy people are caught like that's pretty much it i really i really don't agree with a lot of like metrics sort of stuff that people are doing now what what kind of metrics burn down charts those sort of thing like on or estimate like all this estimation stuff so that like it's 99 percent of it is you know bullshit you yeah it it doesn't help I don't think. Hmm. But does the, do the estimations help the team understand what is involved? No, I don't think so. The goal, not in the way that you typically do it. Not in, so in, in a well, okay. So there's another. <laughs> there's a lot of issues with the way people do Scrum. Which is, one is you like you're not meant to just assign all of your work to the people that get it up front, and two people will give two different estimates. And like a lot of companies treat it as if like oh the estimate should be the same no matter what, but like two people are going to attempt to solve the same problem in two different ways, and their estimates could be different for one. Um, yeah, the estimates in general who are they helping? Like the only people that they help communicate to are the external business. Like that's it. So look at what the root of this process is, is a post-it note board with columns to say, this is what we're working on. Uh, like Kanban is the purest form of this. Like it, it's been way over complicated into scrum with estimates and all this additional stuff. Like really what you're selling is Jira. I feel not like any beneficial process that helps people deliver. Being able to track work as it goes through is beneficial for everyone. But yeah. like, yeah, the only person that the estimates and all this stuff communicates to are the product managers, but then they expect those estimates to be accurate. They're never accurate, especially if you're working in like a legacy code base or something or something you've never worked on. There's spikes and everything, but we're just adding more and more processes and like weird like lingo to, to solve problems that we don't need in the first place. So mm. I have seen um, estimates work well in one session where two developers gave fairly different estimates on what they think, what they thought the ticket should be. Um, and because they were so different, I ended up in a discussion about why their implement, implementations were going to be different. Um, 
And it turns out the developer who was going to do the ticket didn't actually understand what had to happen. Yeah. So there was a benefit in that case because it, what it done was it facilitated that conversation. So if they didn't estimate, they had the two developers had two different ideas on, on what would have happened and they, the team would have got different results depending on who done it. So it's a fake problem. Of, <laughs> it's a fake problem though. You just have a kickoff yeah. and it's the same thing. It's just, we're not like, what's the difference? I, I, don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't see it. So it's probably, I, I, I hear that argument as well, but mm. again, like if you do pairing and do kickoffs before you actually begin work on something, you have the same sort of visibility for the people working on it. That's fine. And if those people are actually unfamiliar, if both of the people that are pairing on it are unfamiliar, they should talk to the, like, maybe you should have picked the person who was familiar with that. Like, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, su- I suppose the other thing is, too, maybe not everyone would be present at the kickoff time. Because this was a larger team, right? This was like 10 people. Yeah, I still don't think it's worth the overhead. Like, think about, about the amount of overhead that you're putting on every week and every bit of delivery uh, in order to catch one person saying something's easier than it should be. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I've never seen someone... Normally, yeah, there's heaps of stuff where, the, like, someone estimates something wrong. But the other thing is, like, we shouldn't be assigning the people should pick up the ticket that they're comfortable with in the first place. Like yeah. if you're doing something where you need sprints because you're trying to deliver things in a line, then, you know, just pull in the tickets at, that you need for that release and then work on them. That's pretty much it. Yeah. You know, the other thing too, there was 10 people in the meeting, but I think eight of them were checked out and it was just the two people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what ends up happening. They just become a, like I literally, so I like, I'm in a meeting this morning <laughs> wherever it is that I work, no one knows. And uh, like the, the API developers like myself will be talking about something very fascinated tones. I love this meeting. This is the best meeting ever. And then there's like six front end developers that are like completely asleep cameras off. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Who haven't said anything for 40 minutes because we've been talking about this thing and how to, to build it again, kickoffs, like the people who are actually important to that should be there for that ticket. And you don't need a product manager necessarily in that, but you might. I suppose the other challenge is um, it's like team communication too, right? It's like even though the developer, like the other, te- pe- the other team members, some of them might be checked out, there might be some value to understanding like the direction of the product and, and what's happening maybe, but um, maybe it could be facilitated in a, in a different way, right? Like, so say if, we, if we're talking about the kickoff example and the two developers who are working on it were talking about that, but the rest of the team, how would they be aware of, of the solution that these developers had come up with and um, how, would they, how would they keep their mental model of the evolution of the system in place? Uh, well, ideally your team isn't big enough that anything is going to escape their notice really uh that would be number one if you've got a team of 40 people obviously you know no matter what process you do like people are going to be unaware of things that change uh if you're in a team of four people and two people or five people or like what's a two person uh, sorry a two pizza team to you like is that like seven people is probably like the ideal size like max size is seven engineers uh including like the engineering manager tech lead you know um 
actually that's even getting big, but anyway, uh, you're not going to like escape that if you're working on something of that, of that scale. Like if you've got seven engineers, you, you don't need to like have everyone in every like, you know, breakdown of how we're going to solve something meeting. They're going to be aware of it because when they actually need to work on that feature, there's going to be other people to upskill them. This is, this is not, again, like people think this is like, oh, people are going to become more aware, but you get the same, um, like issues with, you have one person who's good in, in a scenario, like, I, this is just like, this is what happens. Like <laughs> someone works on the like tickets for feature A and then they work on their own. No pairing, no kickoff, nothing. And then they say what they're doing in every, uh, like um, every grooming, every whatever, sprint planning. Um, but no one really absorbs it because they're not actually trying to understand it and it's not the thing they're working on. They're all focused on the stuff they're working on that week. No one cares about what the other guy is working on. So without that, you, you need to do pairing and hopefully even rotate people in order to like increase the knowledge around the team. That's not solved by just having more meetings where there's more people. So mm. I'd say that's the wrong way to go about the knowledge transfer because it doesn't work. It clearly doesn't work <laughs> in companies where you like... Yeah, you have heaps of meetings and everyone discusses everything, but still no one's able to do anything that one of the people does and they become a linchpin of the organization that can't be replaced. So, Yeah, different strategies, isn't it? Yeah. So many ways to do things. And I think like you said too, maybe there's a little bit of influence from planning apps like Jira, Monday.com. They kind of want teams. People to are work selling in these you, ways. Yeah. yeah. They want teams to work in these ways where, um, you know, they've developed an app to solve this problem. So you end up falling into matching your problem to match the software that you're working with rather than actually making your process match the software, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Making, yeah. Your internal process matching the software. It literally says sprints. So we're going to do sprints. So that's right. Yeah. Well, if yeah. it says sprints, yeah, that's what you're doing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, hopefully just find people who can manage their own work and are responsible. That's really it. And then trust them to do uh, the, the best process that's going to work for them. Obviously there's like audit requirements. If you work at a bank, um, that's another thing, but yeah, if you're working on e-commerce, I think you'll get more out of your people if you if you treat them as responsible and capable and encourage them to communicate. That's a nice finishing note. Thank you. Should I hit the button? Yeah. Oh. Nice. Everyone listening, burn all your agile books. You only need the agile manifesto. That's it. It's on the internet. <laughs> it's free. I wonder if I actually got that. Um, Agile manifesto uh, key correct okay. about a uh, uh, statement. Uh, individuals and interactions over processes and tools is number one, and yet all agile is is about <laughs> processes and tools. How amazing is that? I love the world we live in. I think software development has become tool-driven processes, but anyway, that's a different discussion. Look, if you do Scrum, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Scrum. <laughs> I'm sick of it. It never works. Do Kanban. <laughs> if you're out there listening and you've got a good example of where Scrum works, hop on the Discord. Let us know and tell us how you. And I'll tell you how you were wrong. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs>
great stuff. You think anyone's going to think I'm confrontational? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> you just told them to get fucked if they don't use if they use Scrum. Sounds fine to me. <laughs> <laughs>